Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get around to all the comments and questions that get sent in. But if you use that tip link and supported the show and sent in a fun topic, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too awful long to hear it get answered. So we gather up those unused questions and we address them here on companion videos. Now, uh, this one, we've been doing a couple of these companion videos live lately just because it's kind of been fun. I, I'm not going to lie. I kind of like doing it live, um, even when it's unannounced, because I think I only put this up. I, I put this up like a half hour ago. I put up the notification that we're going to do this about a half hour ago. But I, I find it kind of fun because I like being able to talk and then look down at the chat board, hear what you guys are saying. Sometimes when I get frozen on something, I say to you guys, hey, guys, who was it again that starred in that movie? And you guys are able to tell me that. And I just have a good time with it. So thank you guys for being here. And uh, hey, Let's not waste any time. Ooh, but today is fun. One, because I'm still on the medication, so I'm still a little bit loopy. That's always kind of fun. But besides that, and being on a little bit of medication, um, I'm going to watch Black Widow today. Yeah, a little bit later tonight, I'm going to watch Black Widow. Black Widow? I'm going to be watching Black Widow a little bit later today. I'm really excited to watch it. Now, you know me. I have... I, I love Hawkeye and Black Widow. Love them. I think they're great in the MCU, but I've never been all that interested in a standalone movie for either of them. And now here we are. We've got a Black Widow movie, and Hawkeye's getting his own Disney Plus show. So will that work out? I don't know. But the trailers have been pretty good, so I'm going to check it out tonight, and then we'll talk about uh, Black Widow tomorrow on the John Campbell Show because the review embargo lifts tomorrow. So I'll watch it just in time for that, and then we'll talk about it tomorrow. Anyway... With all that down, guys, let's not waste any time and get right to it and start getting caught up on these questions. We're going to start off here with Dad Jokes, who wrote in, John, by the way, my name has an H in it, J-O-H-N, just so you know. Anyway, hear me out. You and Rob were discussing Man of Steel today. This would have been a uh, couple days ago, I think. And I came to a realization, the movie's about a man who is half human, half Kryptonian. By the way, Krypto Kryptonian is with a K, just so you know. Anyway, genetically, he's Kryptonian, Jor-El, Lara, but... His soul is human, Jonathan Martha, and that's his struggle. Um, well, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, Let, let's start with this. Yes, he is very human in development, but he is not half human. He is full-blown Kryptonian. Like, I can say, you know what? Uh, I don't know. I... I feel German. That was a terrible German accent. Forgive me, anybody who's German. I'm just trying my best here. I feel German. Therefore, I am half German. No, it, it, no, it really, really doesn't matter. I can eat all the Wiener schnitzel I want. I can, you know, drink as much beer as I want. I can, uh, whatever. It don't matter. I'm not half German. I am still what I am. I'm not half German. So, yeah, he is completely Kryptonian. But, yes, you're right. His soul is really more human because um, he was uh, because he was raised here. I mean, this is where his heart is, but he's still very, very much Kryptonian. But I see where you're going for there. All right, next up, uh, where are we at? Major Tom writes, one of two. Hey, John, I'll be honest. After Avengers Endgame, I was going to step away from the MCU for a while to focus on other kinds of movies. Then along comes the second Shang-Chi trailer. Well, 
I think I'm out, but then they pull me back in. Very Godfather 3 there. Shang-Chi, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, and Thor are the only MC movies that at this point I'm truly interested in. Other than that, I guess I'm kind of burned out on the MCU after spending 11 years following the Infinity Saga. That's just me. All right, Major Tom. Uh, I, I think you bring up a really good point. Now, I've been talking for a long time now. If you go back to like a year ago on uh, one of my uh, thoughts on walks, I dedicated completely to that there are a number of challenges at post-Endgame. There are a number of challenges that the MCU faces, right? Because, you know, I get it where you're coming from. We have had a 10-plus year, 20-plus film build up story arcs surrounding the infinity stones and the infinity war and all this kind of stuff. And then we had this major, major crescendo and listen, after you blow your proverbial, your, your proverbial load, look guys, we let's, let's talk as mature men here for a second. You know, once we're done, there's not much else we like to do for, for a little bit, right? We just want to roll over and go to sleep for a bit. There's no, we don't really feel like jumping up and going for a jog or doing other you know, things right away. We just, we want to take it easy for a bit, right? And I almost, I compare that in a very juvenile way, of course, but I compare that a lot to how we felt with um, with Endgame. It's like we hit the climax. We hit the climax. And it's like, now, where do you go after the climax? How do you get everybody reinvested again? How do you get everybody back on board and, you know, buying into the MCU again and getting that, maintaining that enthusiasm and all that kind of stuff. How do they do it? And it's a challenge. It, it is going to be a challenge. Now, they've started off great. You know, we had WandaVision, Falcon, the Winter Soldier, Loki, notwithstanding episode three, which I didn't like, but Loki episodes one and two were fantastic. But the real test, the real test for... Has the majority of the audience hit a place that they actually have MCU fatigue? The real test is going to be for the remainder of this year because we have four films coming out. Because listen, regardless of how Disney Plus does, we won't really see. Because people can just, if they're subscribed to Disney Plus, they can just turn on the show. But it doesn't mean they're liking it. It doesn't mean they're really invested in it. We just don't know. But with the movies, that will be able to gauge. Because in 2021, we've got four MCU Universe movies coming out. Three of them Disney, one of them Sony. We've got Shang-Chi. We got Black Widow, which I'm watching. And as soon as we're done this stream, I'm going to go watch that. Uh, so we've got Shang-Chi. We've got Black Widow. Uh, we've got The Eternals. And we've got Spider-Man No Way Home. I propose that these four movies are going to give us a really good barometer on where the audience is in terms of their enthusiasm and excitement for the MCU post Endgame. Now, look, obviously nobody's expecting Black Widow or Shang-Chi or Eternals to come out and make Endgame money. That was the climax money shot of 10 plus years, 20 plus film build out, 30 or 40 big A-list Hollywood stars, blah, blah, blah. Nobody's expecting Shang-Chi, Blackwood, to make $2 billion at the box office. I don't even think people are realistically expecting them to make a billion dollars at the box office. But how healthy 
is the audience's enthusiasm for the MCU right now. And these films are a good test because they're a little bit of a mix of recognizable properties that we're very familiar with, Black Widow, Spider-Man, and a mixing in of brand new IP and brand new characters, Shang-Chi and the Eternals. And we're going to see here, we're going to see, because listen, if Black Widow comes out, now Black Widow's going to have a little bit of an asterisk beside it because Disney is doing that stupid ass-backwards idea of trying to make you pay $30 and not get the theatrical experience. Pay thirty, pay your Disney Plus membership and pay us $30 and just sit at home in your living room like you do every night and watch a movie that was made for the big screen. Anyway, uh, sorry, uh, that's just, I'm, I'm letting my, uh, my opinion on that subject kind of show here, but we are, it is going to be mitigated a little bit for Black Widow. We're going to have to take the Black Widow results with a little bit of a grain of salt. But still, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how Black Widow does. Fast 9 just opened up to the biggest opening weekend box office in Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Right? $70 million. To put that into perspective, the last Fast and the Furious, The Fate of the Furious, which was just released normally not with the movie theaters trying to recover still, not still on the tail end of a pandemic. Fate of the Furious only made, only, Fate of the Furious made $98 million opening weekend. So F9 coming out and making 70, just like 28 million short of what that one did without theaters just starting to reopen and without a pandemic still kind of lingering around. I think it had terrific. I think 70 million for opening of F9 is fantastic. Hated the movie, but I love seeing the types of financial results that it's getting. It's great to see people going out to the theater again. How will Black Widow do? Because, listen, if F9 came out and made like $70 million, or made, let me rephrase, if F9 came out and made $40 million, well, then Black Widow would have an excuse to come out and make, you know, 40, 50, 55 million. But I'll tell you what, if you're in an environment where an F9 can make 70, I think it's going to raise a lot of eyebrows if Black Widow doesn't at least do 70, even with the Disney Plus thing factored in. I think it's got to make at least 70. If it makes 70 plus, I think that's totally good and totally healthy. And then we'll see how Shang-Chi does. And again, nobody's expecting Shang-Chi to do as well as Black Widow because everybody knows Black Widow. But how well will Shang-Chi do? How enthusiastic is the audience still for the MCU that when a brand new character hits the screen, how are they going to respond? It doesn't need to be as big as Black Widow, but it's going to be interesting to see how they go. And then we have Eternals. A lot of big name stars, but again, a brand new IP. Are people going to go out and see that? And then at the end of the year, we got Spider-Man No Way Home, a very recognizable character that everybody knows very well. And how will they respond? And I think we're going to get a lot of really valuable information over the next six months before the end of 2021 as to where is the audience? Is everybody just as enthusiastic for the MCU as it ever was? Is it not as big as it was when Endgame hit, but still really solid? Or are we going to see some box office evidence that suggests that maybe interest is in the decline? My guess right now is that it's going to be the second thing. I think it's going to be we're going to see that it's not as big as it was when Endgame was out, obviously, but it's still going to be really strong. That's my guess. And we've got the rest of 2021 to find out. we got four movies and their box office results to find out. 
It's going to be interesting as we go. By the way, Jetfire97 and our friend Iconic Reactions both send in Super Chat badges in the live chat. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that very much. So we'll see. We'll see. And I'm going to get a little bit of a taste of it with Black Widow tonight, and then we'll see where things go. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Next up, we've got Willow who writes, you said that Warner Brothers regrets spending all the millions on finishing the Snyder Cut. They absolutely regret it. Yes. Uh, in hindsight, what do you think they should have done? Should they have just released the film as uh, as it is, where it was all still unfinished, or released it at all? Um, yeah, Warner Brothers completely regrets uh, putting that out. They completely regret it. Actually, it's it's being whisper, whispered, don't know if it's true or not, but it's being whispered that that's one of the reasons why, you know, the Warner Media CEO is losing his job here pretty soon. Uh, whether that's true or not, who knows. Um, but... Yeah, they spent way more money than a lot of people at Warner Brothers or AT&T or media wanted them to pay to finish it. The end result was not as many people watched it as they kind of hoped there would. The other end result was instead of the fan base saying, thank you, Warner Brothers, for finishing this movie and giving us a Snyder Cut. Whereas it never really existed before, you put up $70 million, you actually made it a complete real thing, and you put it out for us. Thank you, Warner Brothers, for doing that. That's not what the fans did. Instead, the fans doubled down on attacking Warner Brothers and saying, okay, now that you gave us that, now restore the Snyderverse! Do everything for us! And, it's, it's, and I think that left them in a place that is like, oh... Okay, so never do anything for the fans because instead of being grateful, they're just going to double down and demand more and they're going to create boycotts and they're going to review bomb your other films. You guys remember what happened with Godzilla versus Kong, whatever. So for that and a lot of other reasons, and listen, by the way, I enjoyed Snyder Cut. I did. I, I thought it was an improvement over the theatrical version. But that being said, for that reason and many more, Warner Brothers absolutely regrets uh, going back and doing it. And putting that out. Now, what should they have done? Well, you presented the only two options, really. Just keep it buried or released it as it was, as an incomplete, unfinished thing. Personally, if Warner, if, if HBO Max didn't exist... I would have said they just should have never touched it. They just should have just kept it buried and kept it dead. Once HBO Max became a thing, though, I, I started to believe, because you can go back years now myself, once HBO Max became a tangible, real thing, I was like, you know what? Put this thing out on HBO Max. Why not? You don't have to invest a single dollar in it. Just take it as it is, you know, this unfinished thing. But, you know, Snyder had edited all the unfinished stuff together. You'd still get the storyline. And as a treat for the fans who were really wanting to see the quote-unquote Snyder cut, just release it as it is on HBO Max. I think you would have found that the fan base would have been grateful. I think you would have found that it would have been really interesting for people to probably see even some of the unfinished elements of it. It wouldn't have cost Warner Brothers a bloody dime other than probably some money in contracts that they would have had to have paid out to some actors for putting that coming together. So yeah, they would have needed to negotiate that and it would have cost a little bit of money, yes, but not nearly the $70 million. Not nearly the $70 million. 
that they ended up spending that they'll never recoup. It was just lost money. So in a world where HBO Max exists, I do feel that they should have put it out just unfinished. And just and they should have made a big deal out of it. They should have said, you know what? Fans of Zack Snyder's DC films, good news. We Now that we have HBO Max, we are going to take that edited version of the movie that was incomplete and we're going to make it available on HBO Max for you to see as it is so you can see the work in progress that was there and you can see all that and it's going to be there for you to watch. It would have been a win-win. I, th- I, I think it would have been a win-win. Instead, they spent the extra $70 million. The end result was an even better than the theatrical version in my opinion, but was it worth the $70 million and all the subsequent backlash and all the doubling down, it just wasn't worth it. And that's why when I talk to certain people, oh yeah, Warner Brothers regrets it. They completely regret it. I still think they should have put it out, just put out the unfinished thing. I think everybody would have been happy. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Who knows? All right, thanks for that, Willow. Next up, uh, we've got Daniel K. writes, what if the abomination we see in the new Shang-Chi trailer uh, is actually uh, Fin Fang Fom and the other two met at some random point? I don't think that's a possibility. I mean, of course, you're talking about there are shape, there's shape shifting involved. There is. But I still don't think that's the point. I don't see why Fin Fang Fom would be c- competing in a, mar- in a Mortal Kombat kind of stuff. So, no, I don't think I don't think that's actually a tangible, real possibility. I mean, anything in an MCU thing is possible, but legitimate, like there really is an honest chance that that's the case. I don't think so. Could be wrong, but we'll see. All right, next up. Anton Riley writes, Good Girls has officially been canceled by NBC. Yes, it has. And Netflix won't pick it up. Was watching to support Aaron, but dang, this sucks. Yeah, Good Girls, wouldn't you know it. So Good Girls, which has just finished its fourth season or is wrapping up its fourth season now, Aaron, who is on our show, Aaron Cummings gets a role on the show and it would have been one that would have continued into season five. You know what really sucks? Here's what really sucks. I got contacted by somebody very well connected and what she told me was we there is going to be a season five. It may not be on NBC, but it is. there is going to be season five. So I get on the phone and tell Aaron, say, Hey, Aaron, don't tell anybody this, but I just heard from a very good source. There is going to be a season five. I didn't tell her about the NBC thing. I just said, there is going to be a season five. And then like a week and a half passes. And I find out that a Netflix deal falls through and net NBC wasn't going to continue with it. It was going to go to Netflix. Then that fell through. So now I feel really bad because I got Aaron's hopes up. But uh, anyway, it is, that's the business, man. That's the business. Uh, anyway, next up. Um, but hey, make sure you watch the last few episodes of Good Girls on NBC because you're going to see Aaron, our girl Aaron pop up in there. All right, thanks for that, Anton. Next up, the casting office writes, I think I may have found an X-Men tie-in in the new Shang-Chi trailer. There's not. <laughs> just, just so you know, there's not. Anyway, uh, just hear me out. I know everyone is saying that's abomination. Oh, that is abomination. Make no mistake about it. That is clearly abomination. That is 100% abomination. At the end of the trailer, but he he but he is but he is also looks like to be a comic accurate Chaad from the Star Jammers who is led by Cyclops' dad. Yes, the Star Jammers 
I remember hearing them talk, some Fox executives talk before that Star Jammers was something they were looking at doing further on. Of course, that never came about and they never did that. But number one, no, they are not doing any X-Men tie-ins in Shang-Chi. Number two, that is very, very clearly abomination. That, yeah, that we don't have to worry about, casting office. That we don't have to worry about. It is absolutely abomination. I mean, all you have to do is just look at them. That's clearly abomination, nobody else. So, uh, yeah, there you go. But anyway, I like the fact that you're thinking outside of the box, though, casting office. Uh, by the way, our friend John DeMoto sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, John. I appreciate that, dude. All right, next up. The casting office also writes, why has uh, Marvel not cast as Charlize Theron yet? Uh, well, because there hasn't been the right role for her yet. Just saying. Anyway, she she is actually the Captain Marvel we all deserve. I, I thought they got the perfect performance for Captain Marvel. Anyway, I would even like to see her as Sue Storm alongside George Clooney or Zachary Quinto. It's, cl <laughs> it's clearly ageism, which is sad. Okay. My, the casting office, my film-loving brother. Let me give you some shit for a minute. As a brother, in a, in a fellow film fan brotherly way, let me bust your balls here for a minute, okay? It's clearly ageism. Dude, what are you smoking? What are you smoking? Ageism? Listen, Charlize Theron is 45 years old, so she ain't old. Number two, who did they just get to star in Thor Ragnarok? Oh, yeah, Kate Blanchett. How old's Kate? I think Kate Blanchett's 53. 53, 54, something like that. She's a good six, seven, eight years older than Charlize Theron. And yet they're putting her in as Hela. If there was ageism, she wouldn't have gotten that role. And oh, what other movie do we have coming out this year? Oh, I know. Eternals. Guess who's starring in that? Angelina Jolie. Guess what? She's older than Charlize Theron. I, th I think by like a year. I think she, uh, Angelina Jolie is like 46 or 47. So I think she's only older by her than a year. But I I'm just saying, if it was ageism, why would they get Kate Blanchett and why would we have Angelina Jolie coming up? So no, it's not ageism. Charlize Theron hasn't been in an MCU film because there's never been a role for her that she was the right fit for. If Kevin Feige thought there was a role that she was right for, you bet your ass they would have gone to get her. And then it's a whole question, too, about whether or not she even wants to be in an MCU movie or not. That's something you got to consider as well. But, again, this whole thing, I want to see her as Sue Storm. Well, okay, but what's Sue Storm? Again, I go back to the three Jokers. Right, we, We'll leave Leto out of it because that's too divisive. But let's talk about the three Jokers. Jack, Heath, and Jared. Not Jared, sorry, Joaquin. Right? Three completely different Jokers. Jack was great as Joker for that Joker. But he wouldn't have been good for Heath's Joker. It just, it wouldn't have been the right fit. Heath obviously won an Academy Award for his Joker. Would he have been the right guy to play Joker in in Michael Keaton's Batman? No, that wouldn't have been a good fit. The, the thing is, there's no point in saying, Charlize Theron would make a great Sue Storm because you don't know what Sue Storm is going to be like in the movie. We haven't read the script. We've had four different Jokers on the movie screen and all of them have been completely different from each other. So you got to wait till the script's written. 
and then let the filmmakers decide, okay, let's go out and get a really talented person, but we know what type of actor would make a good fit for these things. So there's no point in that. But yes, the, the notion that the only possible reason Charlize Theron hasn't been in an MCU movie yet is ageism. Well, then why is Kate Blanchett there? Then why is Sir Anthony Hopkins in these things? Then why has Robert? Why did Robert Downey Jr. last as long as he did in the MCU? Oh, and he's coming back. Make no mistake, he's coming back. Why do they have Angelina Jolie uh, in there when she's older than that? So I, I'm just saying she's not there because they haven't had the, the role for her yet. There hasn't been the right right role that she is specifically and uniquely right for yet. So that's that. But hey, I love me some Charlize Theron. So if they ever announce that Charlize Theron's going to be in an MCU film, sign me up. Sign me up right away. All right. By the way, our, our uh, friend Rampage Predacon sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Rampage. Okay. Uh, next up. Okay. And thank you for letting me bust your balls a bit there, casting off. It's good to have you here, man. All right. Next up. Brandon Visconti writes, hey, John and Rob, if he's there and he's not here, obviously, for a companion video. Uh, I just saw the trailer for the movie Karen. Whew, and oh, my God, it looks horrible on every level. Have you seen the trailer or heard of this shit show? Yeah, I saw the trailer. I was we were talking about this yesterday, actually. You could have made a wonderful spoof comedy about these idiots like Karen. You could have made a wonderful spoof comedy that really mocks those kinds of people. And that could have been pretty fun and pretty entertaining. They decided to go the horror movie route. Okay, that's fine. I, I, I still like the idea of a spoof comedy thing, but they decided to go to the horror film route. Oh my God. That looks, again, I haven't seen the movie, Karen. Maybe it's the greatest film of all time. I'm only saying what it looks like. It looks like the worst movie ever made. It is an absolute abysmal, awful trailer that makes this movie look like it is truly going to be maybe the worst movie ever made. It's truly, truly awful. So, uh, yeah, anyway, just looks absolutely, absolutely terrible. All right, next up. Um, casting office writes back in. It's clear that DC is done with Henry Cavill. I don't, I don't necessarily buy that. I'm not saying that's not true. I'm, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just not saying I've com I'm completely buy into that, but it is what it is. Anyway, I predict he will be headed to Marvel in which he would make an outstanding Cyclops. Again, you have no idea if he would make a good Cyclops or not because you have no idea how they're going to write Cyclops by the time they write him. At any rate, I think Tyler uh, Hacklin should just pick up the movies too. No, absolutely not. The TV shows, the TV shows, the movies are movies. Keep them separate. Uh, do you think any CW actors could cross over into the movies? Not as the characters they portray. Like, could they, like, for instance, could Grant Gustin play something or somebody else in a DC Universe movie? Absolutely. And, and by the way, I think we're going to see Grant Gustin at least for a quick cameo in the Flash movie. Because remember, in the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover, Ezra Miller popped up and him and Grant Gustin had a quick little conversation. I believe we're going to see something similar to that in the movie. But at any rate, notwithstanding that. No, I, I don't think they should suddenly make uh, Tyler Hackley. Look, what they do is great for a CW show, and I'm really enjoying it. 
I don't think that's a big screen Superman. Just saying. And you guys know I'm really enjoying Superman and Lois. I'm really enjoying this show. I really am. But it works for what it is and for where it is. It works really well as a CW incarnation of Superman as a TV show. I don't think that that Superman is a big screen Superman. And and you may agree or disagree with me. That's totally cool. I could be way off on that, but that's just kind of my take on that. But yeah, we'll see. And and I'm not I am not convinced that WB is done with Henry Cavill yet. It very well could be. I'm just saying I'm not convinced of that yet. Okay. Hopefully he turns he'll come back, but we'll see. All right, Suthius writes. Um, I was wondering when Shang-Chi takes place. Well, after two trailers out now and looking for background visuals for cues, I now think Shang-Chi takes place in 2022 or early 2023 before everybody was brought back with Tony Snap. Also, being a car guy, uh, first clue for me was the red BMW M8 shown in the first trailer, which that specific model uh, has years 2020 to 2022. 2023 has not been revealed yet. Second clue is Abomination himself. It would make sense that Abomination somehow got free during the blip. Yeah, see, I... I, I think that's a great question, Suthius. When does this take place? That's a very good question. My guess is it takes place exactly when it should. It, it should be quote-unquote present day by MCU standards. It should happen around the same time or shortly thereafter the events of WandaVision, Falcon the Winter Soldier. It should be present day. And I think you're right. I think the whole idea about Abomination being out was probably as a result of the snap. Probably. I don't know. We'll find out for sure in the movies. I don't think the cars can tell you because obviously if the year is supposed to be like 2024, 2025 in the MCU at this point, th th we don't have those cars, right? So the best that they can do is give us a modern car by our definition. But it very well could be exactly the way you're describing it, Suthius. It, it might be that Shang-Chi takes place during the blip. I have a feeling, though, it happens after the blip, much like the events of WandaVision and, and Falcon the Winter Soldier. That's my guess. We'll find out if we're right or not soon enough. All right, by the way, Dragon10 sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Dragon10. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up, Anton Riley writes, uh, Conan O'Brien just had his last late-night show episode on TBS. Yes, he did. Um... He's moving to HBO Max sometime soon. Well, he's not really moving because he's not doing a late night talk show host anymore. He's doing more of a variety show, which, you know, think closer along the lines of A Living Color, Saturday Night Live, SCTV. Apparently, they're describing it as a, uh, a, a late night variety show, not so much The Tonight Show kind of format. Anyway, that's my understanding at any rate. Uh, was definitely my favorite late night TV host. He was the funniest and the most genuine. W wishing him good luck on his move to streaming. Yeah, you know what? Here's the funny thing about Conan O'Brien. Everybody says they love him and nobody watched him. I'll, I'll never forget. And by the way, I am a fan of Conan O'Brien too. I just always found it odd that everybody says they like Conan O'Brien. But nobody watched Conan O'Brien. Back when, um, when the whole Tonight Show fiasco was going on and they were going to pull him off the Tonight Show and Jay Leno was going to come back. And I remember like everybody came out with people who never watched Conan O'Brien were walking around with Team Coco shirts. And I remember we had this debate once and I said, here's the thing. All these people who are Team Coco, where have you been? 
because the reality was the numbers were dropping. When Conan O'Brien took over, the numbers started to decline, and they never stopped declining. Now, I'm not saying I'm a bigger Jay Leno fan than Conan O'Brien, not at all. But once they brought Jay Leno back in, their numbers their numbers stabilized again. And then even when he made the move, was making the move to TBS so many years ago, everybody's like, yeah, now he's going to become the king of late night. But again, where, where are all these people who were wearing their Team Coco shirts? Where are you? Because you're not watching his show. I've, I just always found that very strange and very odd because that dude was hilarious, is hilarious. And I will watch his variety show with great interest once it gets on to HBO Max there. But uh, yeah, it is the end of a great era. He truly is one of the great late night hosts. I put him up there. I mean, my all-time favorite late night host is David Letterman. I still think David Letterman was the best. Incredibly intelligent. uh, So smart. He was also a great interviewer. Like, he was a really good interviewer. And his humor was just so dry. I don't know. Him, Paul Schaefer. Yeah, I just... I even prefer, now I, I was too I'm too young to really remember uh, Johnny Carson doing it. Every, everybody who knows the TV industry will say Johnny Carson is the goat. I, maybe he was. I just never watched enough of that because of my age. But David Letterman was my all time favorite. And by the way, I really like like I I like a lot of the late night guys. But Conan was fantastic. He was really really good. Anyway, uh, there's that. Okay, next up, we've got uh, Darian who writes. Hey, John, and whichever phenomenal co-host is on today. Well, unfortunately, none of them are here right now. Uh, me and my friends decided to finally embrace the absolute pinnacle of geek life and start a D&D campaign. Very nice, my friend. Very, very nice. Uh, of course, me and Anne play D&D, big D&D culture around here. Star Wars themed. I've been chosen as GM and I'm super nervous and slightly overwhelmed. Tips. Well, I mean, my first thing to you, Darian would be, let me see if I can find this here quickly. If you want to play a Star Wars theme thing, don't play a D&D game. Play an actual uh, Star Wars game. Now, hold on a second. Let me see. Uh, Star Wars RPG uh, West End Games. Let me see if I can find an image of this for you. Uh, A game that I play a whole bunch, and we're playing... We're getting a new campaign going here pretty soon. Um, is the Star Wars role-playing game. The best one ever. Now, there have been many iterations of the Star Wars role-playing game. To me, the best one ever, though, was one that's no longer in print, but you can still find these. And if you can't, you can find physical copies. If for whatever reason you're having a hard time finding physical copies, uh, and it's had, if you can't find one with this exact cover, don't worry about it. There are others with variant covers. You can find the PDF to it online. This right here is my favorite role-playing game of all time. It utilized what's called a D6 system, uh, which was incredibly intuitive. It let people worry less about, okay, now do I roll a four-sided dice and do it does a cross with this on this table and how many attributes, I mean, it takes it and it makes it very simple so you can really focus on the gameplay. The D6 system was fantastic and I love it. So if you really want to play a Star Wars theme role-playing game, just go go grab this material and you'll be good to go. It's my all-time favorite role-playing game. I highly recommend. Other than that, here's my big advice to you as a game master. Focus 
on making it fun for your players. Focus on making it fun with your players. Because unfortunately, a lot of game masters, whether whichever role-playing game they're they're playing, beginning game masters often feel like it's them versus the players. And that's not it. Your job, it's not you versus the players. Because a lot of game masters have that attitude. And, and you shouldn't. It should be your role is to that is to be that of a facilitator. Facilitate the best way you can, making sure your players are having a great time. Because at the end of the day, whatever rules were broken, whatever happens in your story, if everybody had fun, that is a successful role-playing game session. So focus on that. That's the best little uh, quick bit of advice uh, I can give on something like that. Okay. Uh, again, good luck with that, man. I hope you guys have a good time. Um, Angel, by the way, I'm just noticing in the live chat, Angel is writing, um, anyone remember when Space Ghost had a talk show? Listen, the late, great John Schnepp actually worked on that show a bit. He actually worked on that Space Ghost. I loved that show. I remember when Space Ghost's grandfather was on it and it was voiced, I think it was voiced by Randy Macho Man Savage. Ooh, yeah. And he did his Macho Man voice. I mean, that was great. That was that was like some all-time great stuff. Okay, anyway, uh, next up. Uh, Richard or Logan James Kynaston writes, Jordan Peele and Robert Eggers are two films in and both have been horror films. Which director are you most impressed with so far? Personally, I'd say Robert Eggers. It depends on, on what your point of view is on The Lighthouse. Anyway, um, personally, I'd say Eggers. I love The Witch and The Lighthouse. Uh, I also love Get Out, but was quite disappointed with Us. Now, I am with you on Us. I liked Us, but to me, Us was a noticeable step down from Get Out. Get Out was wonderful. I loved Get Out. And I liked Us. And of course, the future ex-Mrs. Campia, Lupita Nyong'o, my future ex-wife, um, she was brilliant in it, like phenomenally brilliant in it. But it was a significant step down. With Eggers, a lot of people didn't like The Witch. I did. I, I thought The Witch was quite good. But it was weird because I found a lot of people did not like The Witch, particularly horror fans seemed to not like The Witch, which I never understood. I thought the movie was was fantastic. The Lighthouse, listen, Lighthouse has a lot of artistic merit and two fantastic performances with Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. But, I mean, listen, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you. I walked out of that theater going, what the fuck did I just watch? Like, I, it's, whenever you get, like, filmmakers who try to do something really hyper artistic you can unfortunately end up with something like lighthouse or that god awful mother remember that with jennifer lawrence oh my god that movie sucked i'm sure it's a beautiful piece of art but it totally sucked uh by the way jonathan green uh is in the live chat telling me i should work <laughs> just you know jonathan green is also here at my house right now working in my dining room and he just felt the need to tell me I need to get back to work because he doesn't consider what I do to be an actual job. Neither does my mother-in-law, so that's okay. Uh, anyway, there's that. Okay, let's move on here. I'm, I would say if I had to pick one right now, Jordan Peele or Eggers, I like the trajectory both of them are going. I would say I'll lean towards Jordan Peele, but it's close. It's really, really close. Okay, uh, let's move on here. Next up, the Sock writes. 
I just want to say I'm extremely embarrassed and sincerely apologize to you and the community for uh, for the redo of healer recommendation. Yeah, I've had a few people write in about that. I hadn't gotten too far into it, and I was just taken by the execution of the first few episodes. Um, they are edited in such a way that it led me to believe that this was simply a show that wasn't afraid to be edgy rather than softcore porn. I'll take this as a painful reminder to watch the entire thing before suggesting. Yeah, so Sock wrote in this show, Redo the Healer. I've never seen it. He said, man, I'm starting to watch this redo. Make sure you guys watch it. And then I had a few other of you guys write in and say, dude, like, no, th this thing is just porn. It's just porn. So don't, don't bother watching it. Uh, full disclosure, I still haven't seen it. But thank you, Sock, for writing in and following up on that. So now we know what to avoid. Hey, man, lesson learned. We all do it. All right. Next up, we got Film Lovin' Bro who writes, Have you or Rob seen the Netflix trailer for a new Kingdom special episode dropping in late July? I have not. Uh, I'm assuming we're talking about the Korean zombie kingdom, not the uh, Frank Grillo MMA martial arts kingdom those are two different shows i like them both um it looks like a side story featuring the mysterious female character we see at the very end of season two color me excited the koreans do zombies right listen that's a really impressive show now my friend kaori who you guys know um she was trying for a while to get me and ann to get on board and try kingdom and we just avoided 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 it's like really another zombie show i don't need another zombie show i finally did check it out and it's it's really good it's really good i've enjoyed it but no i have heard of this but i have not seen that trailer yet film love and bro so i that will be high on my radar it will absolutely be high on my radar okay next up uh let's see here cc and more writes Hey, John, thank you for recommending what we do in the shadows. Love that show, man. Uh, couldn't find the film. Oh, find the film. Find whatever you have to do. Find the movie. It's incredible. And it's the basis for the show. Anyway, I couldn't find the film, but I binged the entire series in two days on Disney Plus, and I couldn't stop laughing. Season three is premiering uh, September on FX and hopefully on Disney Plus for international fans. I'm sure it will be. Yeah, listen, you know what? I didn't even want to watch the show because the movie by taika watiti what we do in the shadows is so bloody so bloody good like it's i don't even know how to explain it to people how good it is and of course he slipped in taika watiti slipped in that little what we do in the shadows joke in uh in thor ragnarok it's like what would that be good against i don't know three vampires huh again anyway so when they announced that they were doing a show but it wasn't going to be starring Taika Waititi or the other guys. I just remember this is just going to be a lame knockoff of the movie, even though Taika Waititi is show running and producing it and whatever. It's just going to be a lame knockoff. It's, it's not, it's not going to be any good. Well, guess what? It's bloody brilliant. What's, what's this one character's name? Is it Jack Daytona? I think that's the name. By the way, uh, Adam Mohammed and S. Beam both send in Super Chat badges in the live chat. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the support very much. So what was his name in the one episode? It was it was either Jack. What was oh, what was his name? Something Daytona. It was something Daytona. Like, do you guys remember what it was? It was something Daytona. I cannot remember. Uh, what it was, but with Jackie, I think it was Jackie, not Jack Daytona. I think it was Jackie Daytona human by that's okay. Max Cohen just puts in. Yes. 
uh, in the latch. I was the first one put in, putting Jack and Daytona, uh, Arlen, Angel, Lucid, or I'll say Jackie. Yeah, so you got guys right. It was Jackie, da- Jackie Daytona, human bartender, whatever it is he would say. That was the episode with Mark Hamill in it. By the way, the Jackie Daytona episode, probably my favorite episode of what we do in the shadows so far. But guys, yeah, listen, if you have not checked out either the movie or the TV show, what we do in the shadows, get on them both. Start with the movie. It's okay if you don't, but I would recommend starting with the movie and then move on to the show. It is completely fantastic. I, I just love it. Okay, next up, we've got Glasses on Glasses writes, love Superman and Lois. But the trope of no one recognizing him as Clark is out of hand. Well, I mean, it's been out of hand since the day the character was created, but it is now a part of his mythology, so you just got to go with it. Um, is getting out of hand. Can he at least vibrate his face like the CW Zoom did when around people he knows? Side note, why does Zoom vibrate his face when he wears a mask? Um, all asked in fun. Well, I don't think it was Zoom that did that. I think you're thinking of Eobard, uh, Eobard that did that, the reverse flash. I think he did that. Listen. It's the glasses, no glasses. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just watching John Campia doing a YouTube video. Oh my God, where did John Campia go? I thought I was watching the John Campia. Oh, he's back. John's back. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Listen, that whole ridiculous thing of Superman Clark and his glasses, of course, it's the butt end and the punchline of jokes for decades and decades and decades and decades. But at this point, It is just so ingrained into the mythology of Superman that you can't change it at this point. You just can't. Clark, sorry, Clark, Superman, Clark, Superman, Clark. It's just so much a part of his mythology, his story, his history, the tradition of the character. At this point, man, you you just got to go with it. You just got to go with it. And, uh... And yeah, it is what it is now. All right, thanks, Glasses On, Glasses Off. All right, next up, uh, Glasses On, Glasses Off also writes, in my last question, I actually meant reverse flash. No problem, buddy. I got your back. I knew what you meant. Uh, Flash, not Zoom. But speaking of both, do we have any clue who the villain in the Flash movie is? Seems crazy that they are shooting the film and it has not leaked. Actually, it's not that crazy. It's not crazy at all that you can be into production on a movie and not yet know who the villain in the movie is. That's not terribly unusual. We'll find out soon enough. We'll find out soon enough. Um, but honestly, I haven't got the slightest, I don't have the slightest notion. The only guess I have, and guys, let me ask you in the live chat, um, who you think it's going to be, but dragon 10 just said somebody that I actually think they're going to do. And that's reverse flash, not the one from the TV show, but I I do think it's going to be reverse flash. Because a lot of this show is obviously very, a lot of this movie is obviously going to be very influenced by the Flashpoint storyline. Not that it's going to be a beat-for-beat Flashpoint, but it's obviously very influenced by it. And Reverse Flash seems to be a a good barometer for that. By the way, Ben Rayner, Issa, Jimmy, they're all saying Reverse Flash as well. Uh, Sakuri is saying that he actually thinks the Flash himself will be... uh, the villain, which is possible, you know, another version of Ezra Miller being the villain. I could see that happening too, but we'll find out soon enough. We'll find out soon enough. All right, let's move on here. Next up, uh, noobs writes recommendation films about mentalists. First, the great Buck Howard, nice little movie with Colin Hanks, Emily Blunt, and John Malkovich. Second red lights with the young Liz Olson, silly Killian Murphy, Sigourney Weaver, and Robert De Niro. Have you seen them? Nope. I'm well, I know of the great Buck Howard. I know of that movie, but I've never seen it. I don't think I'm aware of red lights. That's weird. I, yeah, no, 
I'm not familiar with those. I mean, a young Liz Olson, cool. Killian Murphy, Sigourney Weaver, the great immortal Sigourney Weaver. Robert De Niro, I mean, that's a great cast, but no, I've never seen that. If either of you guys watch this stuff, uh, if you have, jump down in the comments section, let noobs know. Thanks for the recommendations on that, noobs. All right, next up, uh, noobs also writes, more recommendations. Films taking place in one location, buried with Ryan Reynolds, totally should have gotten, honestly, no hyperbole here. He should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for Buried. Second, Lock, that's with Tom Hardy, fantastic. Third, Exam, I'm not familiar with that one. Lesser known thriller with Gemma Chan, highly recommended. Uh, goes to show that if you have a great story, it doesn't take much to tell it. Love film fan uh, family here. Well, thanks so much, noobs. And listen, that goes to the point. You know, I, I've, I've mentioned once a few times that I took something called the two-day film school. And the reason I signed up for it is because I heard Quentin Tarantino recommend it. So I went down to Hollywood to uh, Rally Studios and took the two-day film school with a guy by the name of Dove S.S. Simmons. And he said to start off the two-day, you know, uh, session, he said something really interesting. He, he was trying to demystify the idea of movie making. And he said something really cool. He said this. He said, everybody asks me, how do you make a movie? I'm going to tell you right now how to make a movie. Are you ready? Here you go. Get a camera and point it at some friends. Hit record and say action. About two hours later, stop the recording and say cut. There, you've got a movie. And as reductive as that is, he makes a great point. And he actually, in that in, in that, uh, those sessions, he talks a lot about single location movies. Like, because think of a movie like, um, Sylvester Stallone's Oscar. God, I love that movie. If you guys have never seen Sylvester Stallone's Oscar, you totally should. I got to see if I can find it right now. Hold a second. Um, uh, Oscar Sylvester Stallone. Let me see if I can find an image of this. I bloody love this movie. I love, love, love this movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, you totally got to see it. It's called Oscar. But for the most part, Oscar takes place in one location. I mean, technically speaking in the movie, it does end up having a couple of other locations. Yes, but 95% of the movie happens in his house. 95% happens in his house on this one particular day. The day that he snaps provolone is going to go straight and legitimate. He's going to get out of the mob business and he's going to go straight and legitimate. And again, just a uh, wonderful, freaking fantastic movie. I love Oscar. The, the quick wit, the Fenucci's um, terrific quick wit. Um, Dr. Poole. It's wonderful. Check it out. But yeah, buried lock. Oscar, I get really fast. Noises off. One of my all-time favorite comedies, with the late great Christopher Reeve, the late great John Ritter, Carol Burnett, Michael Caine, on and on and on. Uh, probably either tied for my number one favorite comedy of all time, or just slightly in the number two spot. Ninety-five uh, percent of it takes place in an empty theater, a stage theater, with this group of performers rehearsing for their upcoming big stage debut and it's awesome i am fascinated by single location stuff i really think that stuff is great so anyway thanks for bringing that up man all right next up 
we go to. That was noobs. Yes, it was. Next up, we've got moviereview.fartwrites. The Fast and the Furious franchise has just surpassed the X-Men series to become the fifth biggest franchise globally with $6.2 billion. That's amazing, considering the Fast franchise only put out 10 movies compared to 13. Well, it's not that big of a difference. 13 from a very respected IP. Any thoughts? Not really. I mean, Fast and the Furious... Everybody knows that it was Dwayne The Rock Johnson that took the Fast and Furious franchise from where it was to making the truly big money. Because let me just look this up here. Um, and Furious 4. Okay, so Fast and Furious 4, which I believe was just called Fast and Furious, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think it was. Yes. Fast and Furious made $360 million worldwide. Help me out if I'm wrong on that. Can you guys confirm, was that the name of the fourth one? It was, the fourth one was just called Fast and Furious, right? Help me out. Okay, Dragon 10 is saying, yep, okay. So that movie made $360 million worldwide, okay? Um, Fast and Furious. Let me see if I can find, what was the third one called? Tokyo Drift, okay? Let me look up Tokyo uh, Tokyo, um, Drift. Let me see if I can find this. Okay. Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift made $158 million. Okay. So $158 million, $300 million in the fourth one. Yay. Okay. Okay. Uh... Now, let's look at Fast and the Furious once Dwayne The Rock Johnson came in. Once Dwayne The Rock Johnson came in, and I can't even remember the name of it, Fast Five was the name of it. First one that Dwayne The Rock Johnson shows up. Guess what? The box office doubled. Doubled. Roughly doubled to $626 million. To $626 million. Because Dwayne The Rock Johnson is franchise Viagra. Then came the sixth one. Now, what was the sixth one called again? Uh, too Fast, Too Furious? No. Fast and Furious 6. The sixth one came out again with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And it went up again to $788 million, And then you got into Fast 7, where it cracked a billion dollars, all with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Now... Again, it is an incredibly successful franchise. I hated Fast and the Furious 1, 2, and 3. I think they're all garbage. Fast and the Furious is nothing but a point break, blatant plot point by plot point ripoff. Like a complete blatant plot point by plot point ripoff. So I hate the first one. Second one sucked. I didn't like Tokyo Drift. And then Fast and Furious 4 came, the one before Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And I went in to see it begrudgingly because oh, I've got to review it. I'll go watch it. And I came out of it going, hey, that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. I, I kind of liked Fast 4. Never thought I'd say that. And then 5 came out, which Robert Meyer Burnett calls the Citizen Kane of the uh, of the Fast and Furious franchise. I, Fast 5, I think Fast 6 might even be my favorite. 
I think I like Fast Six even more, and then I love Seven. And Eight, I mean, Eight started to lose its way a little bit, but I still had a lot of fun with Eight. I still really liked Eight. So I'm a big fan of uh, Four, Five, Six, Seven, and Eight. A lot of that had to do with Dwayne The Rock Johnson getting involved. Of course, Hobbs and Shaw made big money as well. But, yeah, listen, when you can become, in a world where you have franchises like Star Wars and you have franchises like the MCU and you have franchises like Harry Potter and you have these things when you can put out any series and legitimately call yourselves like the fifth biggest franchise of all time and I'm just going on a limb here but I'm guessing it's behind Bond Harry Potter MCU and Star Wars that's my guess I don't know that I didn't look that up but I'm guessing that's what it's behind uh and by the way Leandro uh uh, Urena sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Al Renshaw is saying, it is not a ripoff, John. You were wrong. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. This isn't a subjective thing, Al. You are absolutely dead wrong. The Fast and the Furious movie is a plot point by plot point by plot point ripoff of Point Break. It absolutely is. You're, you're completely wrong. You are absolutely, this isn't a subjective thing. It's just, that's what it is. Now, whether it's, you think that's good or bad, that's a subjective thing, but it is actually, you know what? I've been saying that for years, but honest trailers just finally put out something. If you go and look up the honest trailer, they actually did uh, one where it's like fast and furious franchise. It's point break. They just swapped out cars for surfboards or they just swapped out surfboards for cars. And I've been saying it for years, but they're finally getting caught up on that. But at any rate, you can still love it. If you love it, that's great. I just, I personally hated it. But uh, yeah, once you get into four, five, six, seven, eight, I really love it. But look, when you can be the fifth biggest franchise in cinematic history, that's a major feather in your cap. Major feather in your cap. Absolutely nothing can be taken away from that. That's outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. So I think that's pretty incredible. I think even if I hate Fast 9, Fast 9 is terrible. But... It is nonetheless an incredible honor. Uh, and it says something about how it's been able to touch the nerve of the audience that these movies, obviously after number four, it's where they really kicked into high gear, no pun intended, with the box office results. But man, again, when you're when you're in the conversation, when your franchise is in the conversation, with the James Bond franchise and you're in the conversation with the Harry Potter franchise and star Wars and the MCU, you've done something right. You've done something right. So that's a pretty impressive thing. All right. Next up, uh, Paul star guy writes one of three. I listened to two episodes of Marvel podcast on Sirius XM. Yeah, I heard they were getting those going uh, of Marvel podcast on Sirius XM Saturday afternoon called Wastelanders Old Man Star Lord. It follows the adventures of Peter Quill voiced by Timothy Busfield and Rocket voiced by Chris Elliott. That's funny that Chris Elliott's doing Rocket on Earth 30 years after supervillains have seized control. Their mission is to find the Black Vortex, an ancient relic reported to yield cosmic powers. The villains are Dr. Doom, Craven the Hunter, and Emma Frost. At least five episodes that drop on Mondays. It was pretty good, really uh, different listening and not seeing. This is the first scripted podcast for Marvel Entertainment and Sirius XM. Future installments of Wastelanders will be Old Man Hawkeye and Grey Widow. Ah, is it Grey Widow? I get it. Yeah, listen, I have not listened to these yet, but it's a fascinating idea. Look, basically, it's an audiobook. 
I mean, really? That's 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 really what these the scripted podcasts. So basically, it's an audiobook, right? I mean, that's essentially what they are. I remember when I heard that they were going to do these, and I really like the idea of it. I really like the idea of it a lot. I think I'm going to want to check these out. Uh, so thanks for giving me the heads up on that. I, I, again, I just think the notion is fantastic. So I'm going to definitely check it out. Thanks for giving me the heads up on that, uh, Star Guy, very, very much. I, I didn't even realize they had started dropping those because I do want to check them out. All right, next up. We've got Luis Santanos, uh, who writes, Demolition with Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Chris Cooper, Naomi Watts, and A Ghost Story, 2017, that's the A24 film, uh, with Casey Affleck, Rooney Mara, are two very deep, emotional, and powerful films that no one ever talks about. Very underseen and underrated, in my subjective opinion. Yeah, and both, both of those films deal with death and loss, uh, and kind of, in their own roundabout way, they're both kind of, also kind of, dealing with loss uh one while still alive and one after dying casey affleck you know being a ghost i listen if any movie really represents the prototypical a24 movie a24 does some fantastic stuff but they also have some stuff that's a little it tries to be a little too heady sometimes i I couldn't get on board with a uh, ghost story. I, I couldn't get on board with a ghost story. I, I tried. I saw what they were going for. I just didn't feel it was being executed right. And it, so when, when it doesn't execute right, it fails to get me involved emotionally and stuff like that. Now, Demolition, the Jake Gyllenhaal Demolition one, that was different. I did feel very connected to that. And that one worked. Again, it's it's not meant to be a populist movie, so I get that. And I, I get why a lot of people don't talk about it. But I, I really did quite enjoy that one. I didn't feel the same way about A Ghost Story. So I'm glad you really liked it, uh, Luis. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you liked it very, very much. But it just it didn't click for me. However, Demolition absolutely did. All right, thanks for sharing those, man. All right, next up. Anonymous Viewer writes, Keanu Reeves was supposed to star in a TV show called Rain. I remember hearing something about that. Produced by the directors of John Wick, he would play in an assassin who makes his kills look like accidents. Never heard any more news on the project. Do you know anything about it? Zero. Actually, I'd be curious. If I go over right now to... Uh, let me see if I can... Uh, actually, let me go to Keanu Reeves's. Let me see if I can go to Keanu Reeves' IMDb here and see if, see if, it, if the project is even listed on his, uh, on his thing. Now, it's still listed as a TV miniseries on his IMDb page. I'm looking right now. He's got a couple of things on his upcoming list. He's got Matrix 4. Uh, he's doing uh, one of the voices in DC League of Super Pets. Uh, he's got uh, John Wick 4, John Wick 5, and Rain. I have heard nothing more about it, though. And it looks like no other cast has been added. So I don't know. This may be one of these things that just dies in development hell. Maybe yes, maybe no. We'll find out. But I have heard nothing more about it, like, at all. So I don't even know if it's actually still going. It's listed on his IMDb. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. So we'll see how that uh, progresses. We'll keep an eye out for it, though, Anonymous. All right, next up. And this will be our final ones of the day. Uh, from Omar the Bronx, who writes, one of four. 
Hey, John, and I hope Rob is there. Rob is not here, obviously, on Companion Video. Uh, he referenced American Ninja, which puts him in God status. Dude, I talk about American Ninja and the Shokasagi Ninja movies and Jimkata, and I talk about them all the time, too. Anyway, um, uh, American Ninja, which puts him in God status. I wanted to give a take on world building in regards to the MCU and Star Wars. I like Shang-Chi. I have some of the comics. I love ninjas, but my interest is exas exacerbated by the relation it has to the world and characters that we already know. In my head, I'm thinking, wow, Shang-Chi is a better martial artist than Cap and Black Panther. And how does this story fit in? For me, it's all in relation. This is what I think the Star Wars sequels got wrong. Ray, Finn, and Poe, Pope? <laughs> I think you mean Poe, uh, were cool characters. But I was really interested in their relation, not biologically, and interaction to the existing characters that we love. Do you guys find that your interest in Shang-Chi, the Eternals, uh, and even if there was a Glue Man movie, uh, is enhanced by just taking place in the MCU. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks for sending that in, Omar. And by the way, Mal3D sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Mal. I appreciate that, man. Um, listen. No. Again, everybody looks for formula. What's the formula? When The Godfather came out, arguably the greatest movie of all time, Nobody looked at it and says, how does this tie in to other movies? And it, it, it didn't. It's just a standalone original film, arguably, by some people's measurements, the greatest film ever made, depending on who you ask. Uh, Star Wars. When Star Wars came out, it had no connection to anything, right? Do these movies have to have these connections and play? They don't need to. No. It's all, listen, it, it's not the formula. Everybody, take a moment. Take a deep breath and repeat after me. It's not the formula. The formula is not what makes a movie good or bad. It's at the end of the day, do they, are they able to execute a good story with good characters and do that in such a way that it becomes compelling to the audience? Because there's lots of movies out there that plug in and connect to previous works and stuff like that and they're absolute garbage. And there's lots of movies that don't do that and they're absolutely fantastic. It's not the formula. You know, first of all, let me just say this. The Force Awakens, in my opinion, is bloody fantastic. I think it's bloody fantastic. I think it is the best Star Wars thing ever other than the original trilogy. I really do. I think, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I remember me and John Schnepp, we would like literally go to watch The Force Awakens like three times a week because our studio was right across the street from the AMC Burbank 16. And we just go, okay, well, we got whatever until our next show starts or whatever. Um, and, you know, we can take lunch and uh, you want to walk over there and go see, uh, go see The Force Awakens again? And like me and Schnepp and I'd say, sure thing, man. And we just get up, walk across the street, go watch it again. I can't, I lost track of how many times we watched it. And I liked it better every time I saw it. Now, of course, and ended up in the complete train wreck that is The Rise of Skywalker, granted. <laughs> but, you know, The Rise of Skywalker wasn't a complete wreck because it didn't have those connections. Nor was the first one fantastic because it didn't have those connections. It's just that there were two different movies. It wasn't about formula. It was about the execution. So, no, I don't need... You Listen, you can do... Uh, hey, here's a good example. Superman and Lois. Superman and Lois. They have had no connection so far at 
all in any way, shape, or form to the greater CW verse. Not a single reference to anything in any of the other Arrowverse shows. Not a one. And it's the best thing they've done in years. I'm loving this show. Not because it's not connected to the other CW stuff, but it's just great. And you have to take note that it's great and it's not connecting to any of the other things. So no, look, I go into a movie and I'm only speaking for myself here. I go into a movie looking for a great experience. And if you can give me a great experience with characters having connections to other movies or, or past episodes or, you know, original things, great. If you can give me a great experience with that stuff connected, fantastic. If you can give me a great experience without that stuff connected, fantastic. One doesn't equal the other. Having it doesn't mean it's going to be good. Not having it doesn't mean it's going to be bad. So, yeah, I would say we just need to move beyond the whole idea of the formula. What's the formula? That's just my take on it, Omar. And by the way, you can evaluate things and have your own experience for the way you're built. I'm just expressing the way I experience them from the way I'm built. And it's all subjective, and it's great that we look at it differently, and that's fantastic. But it's, it's my job to tell you how I see it and why I see it that way. But that doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong. Not at all. It's just uh, how I kind of look at it. All right, guys, listen. That will do it for now. Tomorrow, we have the John Campus Show with me and Robert Meyer Burnett. I look forward to you guys joining us for that. And we are going to do more. That We're going to pick up with TVA's Lost Agents. Uh, has a bunch of things to say there. The Sock, Mr. TJ Lynn, and others. We will get around to those, and we will pick up right where we left off once we get to the John Campus Show tomorrow. I hope you guys will come and join us for that. It's going to be an awful lot of fun. Also, don't forget, tomorrow, let me see if I can find it here. I might have lost it. Oh, no, there it is. There it is. Let me bring it up here. Tomorrow at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, 4 p.m. tomorrow afternoon, we are going to be doing our, because tomorrow is game day, so tomorrow at 4 p.m. we're going to be doing our Loki episode 4 pregame show. Because we're, so we're going to do it, and then a few hours later we're going to watch Loki episode 4. But tomorrow at 4 p.m., Los Angeles time. We are going to be doing our Loki pregame show. I hope you guys will join us for that. After, of course, you join me and Rob for the John Campus show in the morning. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for coming and hanging out and joining me as we do the uh, as we did this companion video live. Really appreciate it. Thanks to all of you guys in the live chat. Thanks to all of you who sent in those tip questions, by the way. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you actually tangibly supported this show while you did it. And all of us involved at the John Campus show, thank you guys so much for that support. Okay, guys, that'll do it for me. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.